Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, show number 39, where we interview Jamila Soufrant from journeytolaunch.com. I'm willing to take that risk at the moment because I figure that life is too short and my priorities right now are my family and then just being happy in the moment, doing things that I love. So we've changed our investing and saving strategy over the past year to accommodate this big change. It's time for a new American dream, one that doesn't involve working in a cubicle for 40 years, barely scraping by. Whether you're looking to get your financial house in order, invest the money you already have, or discover new paths for wealth creation, you're in the right place. This show is for anyone who has money or wants more. This is the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. How's it going, everybody? This is Scott Trench, host of the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, here with my co-host, Miss Mindy Jensen. How are you doing today, Mindy? Scott, I am doing fantastic. How are you today? I am doing great. I am very excited for our interview with Jamila. I thought it was fantastic. And I mean, what a like, great pers- persona she's got. What a great story. And look at the power that financial freedom, her journey to financial freedom has given her uh, already just two years in. Oh, it's fantastic. I can't believe how easy it was for her. How easy might not be the right word because she did still have to have the conversation and, you know, do the work. It's not just going to happen by itself. You really have to do the work. But I love her story and how she was able to just switch the gears by thinking about what she wants her life to look like. What does she want her life to look like now? What does she want her life to look like down the road? And doing the math. One thing that keeps coming up over and over again is people say, well, I want to go on this journey. How can I make it happen? And they do some math and they're like, oh my goodness, look, it's actually not that hard. Yep. And I mean, this show is really good for you if you're thinking about, hey, I, you know, we're in a reasonable financial position right now. We have a good career. You know, she had a good career when she started this journey. Things were going well. There was some good income, but there wasn't much optimization on the road to financial dependence. And when she really took the reins, had the discussion with her husband and got family on track for a more aggressive pursuit of FI, the changes are just drastic. And she mentioned many times throughout the show, she's still living the good life now and she's going to have, still have, be able to eat her cake in a few years. Yeah, no, I like her story because she isn't depriving herself of anything. As she says in a few minutes, we cut out the things that we didn't care about anyway. Mm-hmm. Not everything that you're spending money on means anything to you. It mean, you know, you might really like great coffee and it isn't worth it to you to cut out great coffee. Or maybe you really like having a nice car and it isn't worth it to you to cut out having a nice car. So then don't do what makes you happy. Live a good life now so you can live a great life down the road. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet 
help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms of each credit card issuer apply. You ever feel like your vacation rental sits empty too often? Missing out on potential income? Look, you're not alone. Many property owners struggle with underperforming bookings and the complexities of property management. But here's some good news. Vacasa outperforms other property managers in 92% of the markets they operate. They've helped homeowners like you increase their bookings by an average of 24%, turning those empty days into profitable opportunities. Want to see what your earnings could look like with Vacasa? Visit biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, and get a free personalized income estimate today. That's biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. Jamila, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. How's it going today? Hey, guys. Thanks so much for having me on. Awesome. Thank you for taking time out of your day to talk to us. Yeah, so let's go jump right into it. What was your kind of experience growing up with money, or what, was, what do you consider the start of your financial journey? I'd say my start with money was really just from being a child, watching my single mom work really hard to provide for me. So it's funny because it, it, there was never an intentional conversation about money in my household growing up. My mom had me at 20 years old. She came here from Jamaica, immigrated here, and actually had to leave me behind as a child in Jamaica before she could bring me over. So she had to come over here for her to settle herself, work, and bring me at least into something where she could provide for me. And even from that age, and I don't have like specific memories at two years old from that, but watching her growing up, working minimum wage jobs, going to school, trying to provide for me really taught me the value of money from a very early age because I saw how much how much she had to work to provide for me. And that really just instilled this really good work ethic where I knew that if I wanted to have more out of life, if I wanted to be able to provide and take care of her one day, take care of my other family members, or just have, when I have a family of my own, be able to take care of them, that I needed to be smart with how I earned money. So growing up, my solution to that was I wanted to be a millionaire. Like that was my only goal. I wanted to just make a lot of money. That was, that was how I thought I would be able to to alleviate this issue of not having enough was just to make more. So my goal, even just from young was I wanted to be rich. That was like my goal. So my money story really starts from being young, seeing my mom work hard and then having this drive to want to at least make money. How did you pursue that goal in high school and, and college, I guess? So I got my first job at 14 years old and I've been working ever since. And so working now from 14, 15, just throughout my whole high school years and then college was really important because I was able to now save money. So I, I always say that for me, again, the goal was just to make money. It wasn't necessarily about like managing it the best way. Like I saved, but you know, I wasn't like thinking of saving it in investment accounts at 14 or 17. It was just, oh, I'm just saving money. So at least I, I had that work ethic to help me work. And then when I got to college, what really was a really good starter for me was that I got into a really good internship program. So the inroads internship program that I did, it places minority students into fortune 500 companies and you get paid like a good salary. And so my freshman year, that summer from freshman to sophomore year, I got my first internship and I was making good money for being a college student. And I remember that I just started working and saving almost like 80 or 90% of what I was earning at that time 
throughout college. And so I had that internship for my um, three years. And that's the same company that sponsored me and then offered me a full time position. So just that really gave me a really good head start on having money like coming out of college. Now I had like a, a good amount of savings to do things with. So, so you, you get this really good internship. What what company was was this at? And what college were you going to, by the way? I went to Delphi University. So I went to Delphi University on Long Island. And then I, when I was interning, I was interning in an insurance company that, but it wasn't, an, it had an investment arm to it. So I knew I wanted to, again, make as much money as I could. My major was business management with a specialization in finance. And so I was working in the IT uh, section of that whole company. And I knew that I didn't want to be in the IT section. I said, that's not where the money is. I want to be in investments, particularly real estate investments. And so I finagled my way into changing my internship from the IT section of the company to the real estate investment section. And so I started to then intern in real estate and then other positions in the investments department. And when I got hired full time, I got hired into the portfolio management section of the company. And then I worked my way back into real estate. Okay. So I have a thing really quickly. You just said your major was business management with a specialization in finance. And we've, we've talked a little bit about your story, you know, just to prepare for the show. And you weren't always so good with money in the beginning. I think that's really interesting to point out that you studied finance, but it's still like, you have to really pay attention to your finances. I mean, I studied fashion design in college and it's not really all that great of a career. It's not a lucrative career. I'm certainly not doing it now, but I didn't study finance and I wasn't good with money for a while. And then I, I mean, I was always just really cheap. I wasn't necessarily saving it and doing a really awesome job until, you know, later. But I think it's really interesting that you studied finance and yet your mind wasn't on it. And when your mind's not on something, you're not really going to do anything about it. Well, so I think that's a really good and interesting like question to like to put framework around finances. I think there's a disconnect with wanting to make a lot of money and earn a lot of money, but then not realizing how it really is that you build wealth. And so I'd say that when I say that I wasn't necessarily good with money, someone can hear that and say, but you know, you were, you seem to, you saved a lot. And um, you said you saved 80, 90% of your income. And I did buy my first property at 22 and in, which turn, which is now an investment property. So if you hear that, you say, wait, how are you not good with money at that stage? But when I look back at it, I, w- I say I wasn't good because I wasn't intentional about the way in which I saved or invested my money. So for me, I thought it was just good enough to save money and just have like cash sitting around to be able to do something with. And even when I graduated and I worked full time, I was contributing. I don't even think I was contributing up to the company match for a couple of years. And then I finally made it to do at least the company match. But looking back now, I think of all like the lost like opportunities and where I could have invested and maxed out my 401k while I was in my 20s. And, you know, I I bought more luxury items in my 20s that I would never buy now. So I wasn't intentional in ways in which I, I could use the money that I was getting and then build the wealth that I wanted to amass. And then since finding out about financial independence, there are, again, so many things I would have did differently in my 20s. So when I say I wasn't good, it was because I wasn't intentional. I didn't understand that there was a way to really build wealth by investing and saving, but not just saving in like cash account, but like investing it into other, in other things. 
So, you know, I, I can relate to this. I, I find it really like, – I studied finance in college as well, right? Because, and and what I kind of notice about a lot of the finance folks in college and then you get these internships at a big Fortune 500 company is kind of a, a little bit of relentlessness, like ambition and relentlessness to go and be as efficient as possible with their work and careers in the pursuit of, of earning more money. But what's very noticeably absent from that is – the same relentlessness, the same kind of passion or, or intrigue in managing your own wealth. It's kind of like a weird disconnect where I've worked in the past with really successful graduates of top business schools in the finance world who don't seem to have some you know, basic understanding of personal finance, but yet they're, really, they're willing and able to optimize really big business finances. I don't know. Have you noticed the same thing maybe with your experiences at all? Oh, I've totally seen that. Like the smartest people that I've worked with and that I've met along the way that earn tons of money, personally, they're not optimizing or making that money then now work for them. Mm -hmm. It's almost like that lifestyle inflation where you almost think that you've made it because of your income. Like your income shows that you made it because you maybe you're earning six figures, you're doing really well, you have a nice house, you have a nice car. And that maybe signifies to them that they're okay. Mm -hmm. But then when you really dig down, when you get into this rabbit hole of financial independence and what it all means, you realize that that really doesn't mean much. Like it means something, but it doesn't mean much, especially when your expenses are high, when you have to depend on this paycheck to live. And so I quickly realized, because I've always had this goal that I didn't want to work for anyone after 30 years old. I just had this goal in my mind. And I thought the only way I can do that, <laughs> yes, very <laughs> ambitious. So when I graduated at 22, I said, you know what? I looked around at all like my co my colleagues and coworkers, and I was like, well, I'm not going to be here in like eight years. <laughs> but the, the reason why I said that, I thought that was because I was going to create a company. Like the only way I thought I would be able to accomplish that goal of not working for anyone was that I had to create some kind of big company. I had to, you know, somehow do something big. And I tried a couple of things and it never really panned out. But other than that, I had no clue that there was a way in which you can save and invest to create a life in which you didn't have to actively work for someone else. So I found, when I found that out, I was like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I was looking for this whole time, but I didn't know about it. And it, I didn't find out about it until my early thirties. That, and that's when I started to really change the way I invested and saved. Okay. So this is interesting to me. You studied finance and you still didn't know how to invest. And I'm not like, like, I'm not dogging on you. I'm not saying that you're a bad person, but I'm, I'm just making a point. Like you didn't know, and you studied it. How do people who have no idea, how are they ever going to figure this out if they don't learn it? This is why we need to teach it in school. This is why, you know, parents need to teach it. But again, if your parents don't know, they can't teach you. I'm not teaching brain surgery to my kids because I don't know how to do it, but I do know finance. And that's, I just think that's really interesting that it took a while for you to figure it out too. And that's awesome that you did. How did you discover, you know, that investing is the way to go? Was it like, did somebody talk to you about this or did you just like figure it out? Well, so for me, it came to a point where I was, I, I was 31 and I was pregnant and I have a long commute. So, or I had a long commute and my commute was about an hour and a half each way. And which is crazy, right? Like <laughs> to be driving that far for work. And <laughs> I was pregnant. And so I've, I came at that point. So at 31 now, I'm, I'm a year past my whole end date. I'm not working for anyone else. So at this point, I'm like, OK, I guess I am like I haven't figured anything out. I guess this is my life. Like 
what's so bad about it? You know, everyone around me seems okay to be working and, you know, maybe not 100% happy with what they were doing. So I was like, who am I to want this bigger goal, you know? And so, but at 31, I had this, this really bad commute at, and I was pregnant. It took me four hours to get home. And it was obviously not a normal day. It was just like a, all the traffic gods just they were not happy that day and it was traffic everywhere. <laughs> and so I was in traffic and I had this breakdown, like almost this like this turning point in which I said, no way, like there's no way I can do this for the rest of my life. And it wasn't just a commute because, you know, I could have found a commute or a job that was closer to where I, I lived. It was more of this idea that I had like kind of pushed away and forgot about this freedom, this wanting to do things that I loved and not have to like work in something that wasn't fully I was fulfilled in that allowed me to say, wait a second, there's something missing. I have to find something. There has to be another way. So it took me a while, but I started to like research and Google and I found a bunch of blogs and podcasts. And so, you know, that's how typically a lot of people find out about like the financial independence movement. And so I think I found the Mad Scientist podcast first, which led me down to the rabbit hole of FI and I found Mr. Money Mustache and all these like amazing (laughs) blogs talking about people who were doing like we're retiring early or reaching financial independence on regular incomes. So they weren't born into money. They necessarily weren't even making six figures, some of them, but they were saving, investing. And I saw that there were people doing this. And I think sometimes that's all you need to see is that it's possible that there's someone like you doing something. And it really just made me believe like, wow, if they can figure this out, so can I. And that's kind of what led me to really get excited and figure out how I can do it myself. Okay. Um, so, so that's, that's the point at which you kind of discovered this concept and, and I'm assuming that some changes are to follow this with your, how you're spending and, and investing uh, your money. Before we get to that, can we briefly cover what happened in your twenties? So it sounded like, it sounds like you graduated college with this finance degree, you get a job and you're earning solid money and your career advances over this period of time. Is that accurate? That is accurate. Awesome. And what are you what are you kind of largely doing with the funds that you're accumulating uh, or saving from this career? Right. So I'd say that the one good thing that I did in my 20s is that when I did graduate from school, I had the foresight to buy a condo, which was a very good investment because when I bought it, it was pre-construction in a neighborhood that wasn't really, it was good, but it wasn't that great. And now that same neighborhood, it's Dumbo, it stands for down under the Manhattan Bridge overpass. It's one of the most expensive places to own real estate in Brooklyn or in New York City now. Mm. And so I bought that apartment really because I couldn't afford anything else. It was a studio apartment and it was relatively, when looked at the brownstones and the three family homes that I really wanted to buy, it was something that I could almost afford. So I, I went into contract for that. And I typically, if, if I would have actually, um, if they would have did like an all document check on when I got the mortgage, they wouldn't have gave me the mortgage because my income was barely covering <laughs> the mortgage actually. So it was a really huge risk, but it was my best investment decision. So I would say that's the best thing I did. But after that, I really just then worked on living life. So I kind of fell into the trap too. I bought a luxury car. So now, you know, I thought I made it. I had, I bought my a condo and I had no kids. I was single at the time. You know, I had my boyfriend who's not my husband, but we really didn't have much responsibility. So I bought a luxury car, which is crazy because I was driving that car on my long commute, putting premium gas in it and kind of just spending money. I didn't really I didn't buy like a lot of you know crazy things from day to day, but I bought some expensive purses and definitely took some trips and vacations. I managed to not go into too much debt. 
you know, so I only had my student loan debt and I was okay for the most part there. But when it came to like maxing out my 401k, I was not doing that. I was doing the bare minimum just to get the company match. I wasn't doing Roth IRA contributions. So I was like doing limit, like just a small amount of investing, not much. And it wasn't intentional. And I was usually just like living and spending the rest of my money in my 20s. And, and this is not a ridiculous pattern of behavior for folks that, that are in New York, right? I'm assuming that many of your friends locally were doing pretty similar things. Right. So when I looked like across the aisle, when I looked to my left and right, I was doing really well compared to my friends. I owned the property. I had a nice car and I had a good job. So I thought that maybe that would be enough, you know, and especially because my thought process at the time was I didn't understand how it was that I could become a millionaire or not work after 30 since none of the businesses that I thought of were working. So I thought to myself, you know, maybe this isn't such a bad life. But deep down, I knew that there was something missing. And that's all that came to a head in my early 30s when I realized that. One more quick question about this period in your life before we move on to the next one is, it seems to me that the focus during this period, the leverage point in your finances that you were applying very vigorously was was your career. Is that correct? Can you give us a yes. little highlight? Like, were you able to advance in that career, and what did that look like? And what were you? What did you kind of do that you think enabled you to to have a successful career during this period of time? Sure. So when I graduated from school, so from undergrad. I started out, I was making $55,000 in New York City, which was a number of years ago. So it wasn't, it was, it was okay. It was good. And so since then I went back to school while I was working, I got my master's in real estate from NYU. So that helped in terms of putting me up and setting me up for better positions at my career. I also got, you know, the annual raises. So the inflation that just that standard raise you get every year for working somewhere and then bonuses. So that was really, that helped a lot. So working in corporate America in a company, a a fortune 500 company that was doing really well, I was able to, to get the bonuses, which I was then able to at the time in my twenties, <laughs> apply to like more things like maybe buying a car or not intentionally like saving for things. Now I will say that again, I saved money, but they, it wasn't intentional. So I was able to do some things, but if I could go back now, I would totally do it differently. But in general, I think for the most part, it was just working really hard on my career, getting those annual raises and then the bonuses really helped. And so staying in my company from 22 to now 35, you can imagine just the natural course of things. I started to make more money and I I raised my income a lot. Okay. So now that you're in your thirties, you've discovered FI after a four hour commute home one day. And I used to live in Chicago. I'm sorry. I used to work in Chicago and live in the farthest city West of Chicago. That's still considered a suburb of Chicago. And so I've had that four hour commute when it snows and you're just like, really, I could walk home faster. Like this is Mm -hmm. the worst thing ever. After you've discovered FI, what was your first move? We've talked to a lot of people on the show who say the same thing you do. They call it a rabbit hole. They start like cutting every expense and saving every dime and, oh, we're never going to spend another dollar on anything ever. And, you know, how did, how did your journey to financial ind- independence start and how did that look? So it started where I discovered this and I was like, where has this been all my life? And I, I mean, I was married at the time too. So, and immediately after even that commute home that gave me that realization that something was missing, I didn't like immediately jump into FI. I think it took another actually year to kind of find out more about it. Like I started to read more about personal finance and things, but it really took maybe another year or so for me to really get 
deep down and to be like, wait a second, like I can do this. So because I was married, it was definitely going to be a different type of transition because my husband, like while I found this epiphany and had all these like amazing thoughts about it, like he had no clue. He, like we were living a good life. We had just bought our, our home that we live in now. I think I was pregnant again with my second child or I, I had just gave birth. I'm not sure the time frame, but he was just like, like, what are you talking about? So I would like send him some articles. <laughs> I remember sending him a Mr. Money Mustache article and a podcast. And he was like, OK, like, what are you trying to get at? Because you know, like some of the articles were talking about people saving half of their income and living very frugally. So again, living in New York City, like coming from a lifestyle where we were able to go out without thinking about it. You know, we didn't have a budget necessarily. We just went out when we wanted to. We spent when we wanted to. So now I'm coming home and saying, hey, you know, I found out about this thing called FI and there are people who are able to retire in 10 or 15 years or less, depending on how aggressively they save. Like, what do you think about this? So at first he was just like, what is going on? And so it took some talking. Like, you know, I came home and I said to him, hey, what would you think? Like, what would you want our lifestyle to be like in 15, 20 years? Like, what do you envision for us? And then so how can you be happy in the future? And then how can we be happy today? And that and a lot of other conversations and some spreadsheets. So I also had some spreadsheets with some some projections on, (laughs) hey, we saved this much we can have this much money in 15 years. Like, how does that sound while still living a good life today? And so that slowly got him thinking and on board. And what really, really helped is because he's a teacher. So my husband's a high school teacher. He teaches phys ed and health. And so because he's a teacher, he has access to two pre-tax retirement accounts. So I didn't know that this was possible, but when I found out that he had access to two and then I had access to one, so he can contribute and max out a 457 plan and his 403B plan. So hearing or finding out about that really made me believe like, wow, if we can max all of this out, so his two pre-tax retirement accounts and my pre-tax plus our Roth, like even if we do nothing else, like that would be amazing. So I think talking through that with him was like the first step, getting him on board. And then like really what changed everything was being able to max all those out and just budget (laughs) and live off of the rest. It was really helpful. So for for a lot of these a lot of listeners, people aren't going to know some of the terms you just threw out there. Can you describe mm-hmm. a four fifty seven and a four hundred three b? Sure. So a four hundred three b plan is like a nonprofit, um, or if you work in a nonprofit sector or a public sector, it's like a four hundred one k. So it's just a four hundred three b. It's called that for teachers. And then the four fifty seven plan is available to most uh, government or official workers, so city or state workers. You probably have access to one. But the cool thing about it is, if you are in that position, you get to contribute not only to your four hundred three b, but your four fifty seven. So someone like myself who just works for corporate America, my company has a four hundred one k plan, and that's all I can contribute to when it comes to pre tax money. But if you happen to be a teacher or in some other professions, maybe a firefighter or even a police officer, it's quite possible that you have access now to your organization company sponsored plan. So your, you know, whatever plan they offer you, plus your state or city sponsored plan, which would be like a 457. And you can max both of those out. And I, again, didn't know that was possible until I heard it on another podcast of someone doing that. And I said to myself, hold on, like, why isn't this talked about more? You know, this is such a great opportunity for people who want to save more money and to even just fast forward or fast track their their path. And so just doing or hearing about that allowed me to then say, hey, how could we max all this out in our funds and, and do that? 
Okay. So I like to consider myself fairly financially savvy. I've never heard of a 457 plan, but I'm also not a city or state worker. So it would never have come up in my life. And my husband worked for the government, but he wasn't, he was a contractor. So that didn't count. What is the contribution limit for a 457? It's the same as your 401k. So now it's, it's 18,500. Okay. So you, you and your husband can put in 18,500 into his state 457 plan and, or his Mm -hmm. city. And then you can also put in, what's the 403B amount? Is that also 18,5? Yep. That's 18,5 too. So So he's got 18,5 and 18,5 and you've got 18,5 in your own 401k. And a company match. (laughs) So Yes. You can suck away sixty-ish thousand dollars just from these <laughs> these three wow. things, all pre-tax, right? Right. And I and I say all teachers, at least a minimum. So I can't speak to all professions, but I do know that mostly all teachers, no matter what state you're in, have some sort of access to a 457 plan in addition to their teacher plan too. Okay. My sister's a teacher and she's never told me about this. And admittedly, I love her dearly, but she's not all that conscious of this either. And she's just starting to ask me if I know anything about investing. I might. So I'm going to see if she's got this now too. This is awesome. If you are a state or city worker and you're looking for more ways to save for retirement, ask if a 457 plan is an option. And here's the other thing. Here's why a 457 plan is amazing for people in the fire movement. It's because if you terminate your work of employment, so if you stop being a teacher, if you quit or you change into another profession, the 457 money, the money that you can contribute, you can actually take out without penalty. Like if you sever employment ties. So typically, if you are on this path, a lot of people, if they're able to contribute to a 457, you'll be able to access that money without the the additional penalty for accessing it if you sever employment ties. So for example, if my husband wanted to retire early at 45 or 40 or whatever age before his standard retirement date, he'd be able to access that money from his 457 plan without that penalty. Oh, wow. Yeah. This is a, this is an amazing tidbit and, and some just like really good information that I did not know prior to this call here that we could, you could do both of these things and really defer that much taxes. It seems like the obvious problem for most public, many of these public uh, sector employees, like particularly teachers, is that it's going to be hard to generate enough income so that you can then put all of that into these plans. But if you have a dual income household, or if you have some other streams that you're developing on the side, this is how you can really use some of these benefits to accelerate your path towards FI and something that you know makes the stakes even higher for figuring out how to generate that excess income um, so you can take advantage of these plans fully the way you guys are. That is such a good point because one of the reasons why, when I did a little bit of research on 457s and the reason why they, they allowed teachers and other employment people like city or state workers to do that is to help incentivize them, give them more ways to save because, you know, for them giving such their time and a lot of these professions don't pay all that well, but 
you can substitute your income. So my husband, for example, or while he is, you know, a phys ed teacher. And so you think, okay, that's not that much money. He does have his, his master's degree in education. So that helps him to make them the most at his teacher salary level. And he's able to coach. So he does a lot of coaching gigs, which also supplement his income. He does morning school, he'll do summer school. So he does do a lot of things to help increase his income. And you're right that for some people, saving that much money. So if you know you do, if you are trying to like max out a 401k for your 403b plan and a 457 plan, but your income is not high, you're not going to be able to do that and live off of the rest. But if you have a spouse where they're bringing good money, or maybe you live in a really low cost of area um, place, and you're very particular about how you spend money. So maybe you're really frugal, you can possibly do it. I know the reason why I found out about this is the millionaire educator. I heard about him on a podcast and him and his wife and he and his wife are both teachers and they all, they both were maxing out every available (laughs) pre-tax retirement account. And I think when I remember his story really well, he, he never really earned over six figures and he was able to do that, but he lived really frugally too. So I think there are ways in which you can figure out if something like that works. And sometimes say maybe, Maybe the 457 plan has better options for investment. So you want to invest there first versus your 403B plan if you have the both available to you. But just if it is, I would just research to see if it is something that is available so you can start really taking control back and and realizing, okay, what investment options do I really have available and what can I do? Okay. And we've talked about maxing it out, but even just put like every dollar you put in there is a dollar for your future. You don't have to max it out if you can contribute at some point. It's not like an all or nothing thing. And I think that that point is not made enough on, you know, on these shows is that you don't have to max it out. You can put whatever you can into it. And then, you know, sometimes it's, it's easier to max it out than others. Sometimes it's easier to contribute than others. And sometimes you just can't contribute at all, but anything you can contribute reduces your taxable income now. So you're paying less taxes to the government. I'm assuming that the 457 and the 403B are just like the 401k in that it's taken out before you are taxed. It's it's pre-tax uh, investments. Correct. Yes. Okay. Okay. Just want to, just want to make sure uh, that I'm not giving out false information. So it's, it's a twofold benefit. You're reducing your taxes now and you're saving for the future. Right. So, so, okay. so going back to the story here, you, Discover five or a period of a year, you begin putting all these spreadsheets together. You convince your husband to go along with this, uh, or I guess you come to a general consensus. I, <laughs> we didn't talk about that process, but we usually well, let's hear about that. What was the conversation like with your husband, and how did you arrive at deciding to go down that path? So I think it's really interesting because even now that my husband's on board with this FI goal, he has totally different. I think priorities in terms of how we spend. And so I'm the much more, I'd say conscious, right. About like money and like our budget. And for me, like I'm past the nice car phase. Like I don't really care about that as much anymore or certain things. I don't care, but I know my husband would actually like a nicer car in the future again. So in our twenties, we both had nice cars. We both were just living it up. Right. And then now being more careful about how we spend, we don't have that anymore. We don't have the nice cars, which I'm totally fine with, but I think that he would want one. I know that he would want one. So taking that into consideration that he has different priorities and different values in terms of how he spends. When I came to him, I didn't come to him and said, Hey, you know, I found out about FI and we need to downsize everything, move out of our house and never go out to eat again. 
Like that would have not gone over well with him. So <laughs> I said to him, <laughs> I literally said to him, Hey, I know, like, I also don't want to live like that. I like to, I like to go out to eat. I like where we live. I don't, you know, I, I don't want to really move anywhere else at the moment. And so knowing that when I did talk to him, I didn't make it like, Hey, this is what we need to do. And you need to like get on board because this is like what I want. I really tried to incorporate his goals and really tried to make him feel heard in the journey. So for example, when I asked him the question, what would make you like still happy now? Like if we could rank the things that we spend money on, what would that be? Like what would be priorities or what would make you still feel good? But at the same time, then how, what kind of life do you want to live in the future? Like, do you want to have to work until you're 65? Like, don't you want to be able to possibly retire early or for him, he can actually stop working at 55 because of when he started working in his teacher system. So I said to him, wouldn't you want to be able to stop working if you could at this age? And wouldn't you want to travel without worrying about money? So I think it came to, you know, we still like going out to eat, so we can still do that. Let's just put a budget around that, you know? So instead of not even worrying how much we spent, let's, let's put a, a limit around how much we spend. And then in the same regard, the money we're saving doing that, let's max out our pre-tax retirement accounts or let's now open up Roth IRAs. And so it was that dance of what does it mean to live good now? And then what does it mean to live good in the future? And then kind of bringing that together really, really, I think, got him on board. And I also said to him, listen, I'm not going to like judge you for wanting a nice car. Maybe we can get a nice car one day again. Right. Like if I can afford to, if we can afford to one day, let's like buy you whatever car it is, you know, that you want 10 years from now. And I think that helps him also feel heard in a situation where it's just like, okay, it's Jamila is taking into account what I want too. So it's a joint decision. It's not just her way or the highway. Awesome. I love every single thing you said for the listeners, Scott and I take notes as we are doing the show so we can make sure that we cover everything we want to. And I wrote him a note. I'm going to interrupt her and tell her what a great approach that is. And then I'm like, well, no, I probably shouldn't interrupt her. But that's like, I love that approach. It isn't just, Hey, this is what we're going to do. That's really difficult for somebody to hear unless they're, you know, you're the boss and they let you be the boss all the time, but Hey, what does it look like? What is, that's a really great way to frame it because I know there's a lot of people who are discovering the concept of financial freedom and maybe don't understand how they can get their spouse on board, or maybe they they approached it the wrong way the first time, or maybe their spouse was just like, Nope, I'm not interested. Okay. Well, framing it in, in your way is really kind of perfect. What do you want down the road? What, you know, what makes you happy now? You don't have to cut everything. You don't have to like have this horrible life now so that you can also have a horrible life down the road when you're <laughs> living on beans and rice and peanut butter and jelly, you know, but maybe you really like peanut butter and jelly or maybe beans and rice is worth it to you. And that's, you know, just asking your spouse, what does it look like? What is a good life now? And what is a good life later? I love that. And spreadsheets were a huge deal. So I left, I, I left when you said <laughs> that because that's like the, the new to financial freedom, do it yourself guide. Oh, if I show them a spreadsheet. <laughs> well, and listen, I, and you might have some listeners who are just like, all right, I'm not good at spreadsheets. Totally fine. You don't even need to create your own. But what I thought really helped him was that when I showed him, Hey, if we contribute, you know what we're, if we do what we're doing now, which is the minimum, here's what we'll have in 15 years which is okay. You know, it's not bad. We'll still be okay. Or 20 years or wherever. I think like, if we do this, if we max out all of this, here is what we'll have in 10, 15, 20 years. And so when I was able to show him like the zeros 
you know, from just changing maybe um, how we invested and maybe just cutting out things we didn't care about anyway. I think that excited him. So I was like, listen, we can legit be millionaires when we are, <laughs> you know, 55, 60 years old or earlier than that, 40 years old. Like we can do this depending on how aggressive we want to make this. So how aggressive do we want to be so we can ha- have that happen, but then still be happy today? And that's kind of the dance we did to get to where we are. Yeah, that is just fantastic. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. What if I told you that I, Mindy Jensen, the queen of budgeting, the personal finance fanatic, sometimes forgot to cancel my subscriptions? I know it's horrible. $10 here, $15 there. My useless subscription bills could have taken my whole family out to dinner multiple times. Rocket Money can make all that subscription sadness suddenly vanish. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. You can see all your subscriptions in one place and cancel money-sucking subscriptions with a tap. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. That's rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. Saving for a down payment, a wedding, or just looking for extra money to invest? Monarch Money turns your budgeting woes into wins. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best budgeting app overall. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com pockets. Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it easy to manage your money like a pro. Add a partner or family member to your account for no extra cost, so combined finances become a breeze. Customize your budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions, and more. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com pockets. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash pockets for your extended 30-day free trial. I'm curious, have you been struggling to keep your vacation rental booked? 
I totally get it. It's tough to manage and keep filled. But we found something that really works. It's called Vacasa. They've seriously changed the game for a lot of the BP audience. In almost every market they're in, Vacasa manages to fill up the calendar more than anyone else. And get this, the average Vacasa user sees about 24% more bookings than with other managers. That's a lot of extra income. Curious to see what you could be earning? You can get a personalized income estimate right there. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at what Vacasa can do for you. Check out biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A. Biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. Okay, so I, I've i got a question here. What First of all, what year was this that you go through this transition? So the year that we started to max everything out so that, that it came all to a head was 2008. 16 and 17. Those were the years we, we really maxed and saved as much as we could. Okay. And these are last, so the last, within the last two years, two or three years, you, you made this transition. What specifically did you do to do this? What, like, where did the savings come from? Was it eating out mostly? You mentioned that a couple of times. Where, where did that money kind of come, come back in? You know, it's so interesting because the year that we did like max everything out for the first time, we weren't significantly making more money like that year. It's not like we had a windfall or I had some huge increase at work or he did. So I think what happened was one, we just maxed all the pre-tax stuff. So that stuff came right out of our check. So it's funny because, you know, my husband at the time, I think he was contributing like 3% to his 4-3-B plan. So when I came home and said, hey, you have access to another one and we should max both of those out. What do you think? And he's looking at me like, what? Like, so literally like 50%. <laughs> of his check would need to go into both then the 403B plan and the 457 plan, like 50%. So he was going to have to go from three or 6%, I forgot the exact percentage, to 50% of his check. So that was, again, when we talk about that dance and like thinking about it was um, part of it. But being able to just get that money like out of our check. And so we only had to we only had to budget what was left. So maxing out everything and then getting our take home and saying, okay, so now what do we budget with? So as long as we could pay our mortgage and the necessary bills, right? So the bills that we needed to survive on was important. And then everything after that was, okay, so how much threshold do we still have for then going out to eat and saving for maybe a vacation here and there? So I'd say that maxing everything out first, the pre-tax stuff was very just key. So we didn't even see that money then budgeting what was left. So what came home in our checks and then creating priorities around that. So I knew after maxing out everything that I thought a priority should also be maxing out our Roth IRAs, which we had to do backdoor Roth IRAs because of our income level. That was another priority. Then after that, I was like, okay, so what else do we want to do? You know, our vacations right now, a, a priority for us. And they weren't, especially with the kids and just, it just wasn't. So we kind of put that on the back burner. And so that we just kind of went through what was a priority. We budgeted and then we kind of stayed within those confines. See, I, I love it. It's just, it's, it's basically like we weren't tracking all of the spending before it seems like, and whatever money we brought home was basically being spent and we didn't really even kind of. No, it's not. that's what kind of what it sounds like previously. And then with the 50% being held back, you're just like, now we're going to only spend what's left and it will make it work. It works. It works fine. And we don't even really maybe seemingly notice it that much. Right. And I would say too, with the pre-tax stuff, so we're saving money on taxes. So whereas we weren't contributing that much or maxing out our pre-tax stuff, the government would have taken more money out. So for every dollar that we didn't invest in our pre-tax account, like the take home was less anyway. So by funneling more money and being more tax efficient, 
we were able to not only save and invest in those accounts, but then almost it wasn't like a it wasn't like a apples to apples like takeaway just because we're contributing, you know, eighteen thousand five hundred into our pre-tax doesn't mean we immediately saw like eighteen thousand five hundred taken away because we got that tax advantage. So I think that's the thing people also have to think about is that we save so much money on taxes doing it that way that it actually worked out to our benefit to where it wasn't as much. Yes, our our, our take home definitely was less. It was a lot less, but it wasn't as less because we were getting that tax advantage of pre-tax retirement investing. But so do you have any any ballpark idea of where the spending like is because there was less, right? There, you know, if you're putting 18K away pre-tax, you're still gonna have somewhere in the ballpark yeah. of 10K less in yeah. cash. Where, where do you mm-hmm. think the room in your budget kind of came from? Was it in childcare or was it eating out, car payments? What kind of what kind of areas do you think? Right. So we were able to get rid of our so right at that cusp, I think a year before we my husband still had a lease for a car that we were able to get rid of. And then we ended up just buying our cars outright, our economical cars outright that we have now. And again, the budget with the eating out. So all the discretionary items that maybe it would have been like five to a hundred to a thousand dollars a month that we just didn't think much about. So whether that was just going and shopping here and there, eating out, just random things, even vacations. So before the kids, we took more vacations. We spent more and more, more on those things. All that kind of just went on the back burner. And so it's really just optimizing those fine line items in our budget that really helped us. So one of the biggest challenges for working parents is childcare expenses. How do you handle childcare? Good question. So especially living in like New York City and like the cost of childcare can be very expensive. So we are lucky enough to have subsidized childcare because my aunt So I have a family member who helps watch the kids. So I have a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a three-month-old. So the four-year-old will start school, which is helpful because we were actually paying for his school at three years old. So now he's four, he gets to go to free pre-K. So in New York City, there's a free pre-K program, which is excellent. So that helps when you have kids that are four years old and over, they can start going to school for free. When it comes to now like childcare, because my aunt is here and she's helping us, that is, we're able to save money there. Now I'd say though, we still pay her and she actually, we have like a basement apartment where we live now. So it's almost like her cash payment is also subsidized by like free room and board and electricity and all the other things that if she actually had to maybe live somewhere else, she'd be paying a lot more for it. But because it's kind of included in her like total compensation, it works out. So it's like a, it's a really good deal because we get to not have to pay as much because she does uh, have the free room and board here and she doesn't have to pay as much if she were to like to live somewhere else. And so we are able to save on childcare expenses because of that. And if we didn't have this situation, we would definitely be paying a lot more if we had to send our kids, you know, to daycare or to some center while we worked. Okay. Awesome. Great hack. Yeah. Okay. So Let's switch gears now and talk about your entrepreneurship and how it's looking to quit your job and go work for yourself full time. Sure. And, you know, by the time this interview comes out, it'll be public that I have quit my job. I am now a full time entrepreneur which sounds so crazy saying it actually out loud. But so when I first started this journey, I said to myself, 
I'd reached my financial independence mark at 40 years old. And I first started at the time it was like 33 when I officially like marked it as my starting point. And since starting Journey to Launch, since chronicling my path to financial independence, I found like my, my, my passion. Like, so that like thing that was missing for all those years about not feeling fulfilled in my job and wanting to do more and use really understanding that I wasn't utilizing my strengths, I found through Journey to Launch. And so for me, it became this point where I said to myself, I can keep working and definitely meet my financial independence number like earlier, right? I can reach it at 40 because I'd, I'd make more money. I'm earning a lot. This is a six-figure job. You know, I'm getting bonuses. I'd be on track to meet that. But I'm also unhappy and I'm spending a lot of time away from my kids because my commute is so crazy. And because even if I got a job that was closer, it's really even still not what I really want to do in life. And so I was faced with the decision of like staying on that path or following this path of my passion, entrepreneurship, seeing what was out there in the world. And so because of that, I decided that it mattered to me more to enjoy the journey. And so I figured that instead of working and putting my head down and being unhappy for the next seven years or whatever it was, I wanted to enjoy myself, enjoy my life, enjoy time with my kids and do something I loved. And so it caused me to kind of step off that path that I first started on and create another path in which this can actually make this journey take longer. So maybe my financial independence journey now will take longer because now I am giving up this guaranteed income, this, you know, safe, cushy job to follow my passions that quite frankly, are not really earning much money yet. Right. So like, that's kind of crazy, but I'm happier. And maybe because I am going to be able to spend more time doing this and I'm able to put my passion and my, my talents into this, I'll earn money or maybe I'll earn more money. So it can, it can accelerate my journey to financial independence. But I'm, I'm willing to take that risk at the moment because I figure that life is too short and my priorities right now are my family and then just being happy in the moment, doing things that I love. So we've changed our investing and saving strategy over the past year to accommodate this big change. Awesome. So, so one thing I want to, you know, you, you started this thing 2016, 2017 with the idea of being able to retire within a set period of time, according to your spreadsheet predictions, right? But then now you're going to be pursuing entrepreneurship. Do you feel that the gains you made financially since deciding to pursue FI have given you the courage or mental power you need to go ahead and make this change right now? I'm so glad you brought that up, Scott, because it totally, totally did. And this is why I think everyone should be on the path to reach financial independence and not because like you want to retire early or that you'll ever reach it because some people may not ever get to that number. But I think just because I've started on this, like I would never be in a position, I think, to leave my cushy job when I just had a baby, have a mortgage, living in New York City if I didn't set myself up and start and had started saving and investing so aggressively, even for those two years. So sometimes I look back like, oh my gosh, if I'd have known about this and I was able to do this for like five, 10 years before this, I'd have been even in, even in a better place. But just those two years of being so intentional, it's like our retirement accounts were good in terms of how much we saved in that we're on track. We're, you know, we're past, we're, we're on a good trajectory there. 
So even if we took a break, even if Journey to Launch makes no money, even if I, even if, you know, I pursue other things and they make no money and we took a pause on investing, even if we put it on autopilot, our investment accounts would accumulate to a point where we'd be okay in our standard retirement age. Now, to be clear, my husband is still going to work. So taking such a leap also is beneficial when you have a spouse that can help with this. Because if my husband didn't have a job, like this would not be possible. But his job is able to somewhat cover the expenses. And because we saved so much money in, so the whole idea of FU money. So you guys know what that is, right? Like if you're saving for FU money. What's it stand for? So. <laughs> Sorry, never mind. <laughs> forget so, you. <laughs> yeah, forget right. you. But respectfully, I always say it's been respect. You know, it's respectfully. I love. I am so grateful for my job to have given me the opportunities that it did to earn the money that I did. So I, in a respectful fashion, now instead of saving all the money that we did towards our pre-tax retirement accounts, we started to save it in more liquid, like so, cash in terms of a savings account our Roth IRAs, things in which we could access if we needed to. So that way, taking this break from my job to pursue my passions, we wouldn't be desperate or on the bridge of financial ruin because we saved enough money to give me that runway. And so, yes, starting on this path, I would not be in a position to do that because if I was just doing the minimum, if we were only doing the minimum this whole time, we wouldn't be in a position financially to have enough in our investment accounts, our savings accounts, or even just have the confidence in our, our FU money to be able to do any of this. I love it. And I think it's just so funny and so like, not funny, but it's just like so ironic that this, our whole thing here is how do we help people achieve financial freedom, right? But it seems it's so like the power in that goal is really the journey and the freedom that it gives you along the way for your entire rest of your life. Because most people, it seems, don't actually then like slog it out for the 10 years that they need to do to actually achieve FI. There's a much more creative and roundabout approach that involves a whole bunch of different convolutions and twists like entrepreneurship or real estate or side hustles or whatever. And it's just about more and more freedom and power to direct your day. I don't know. I just, I think it's, I think it's so interesting that, that that's, that you start because you start with that goal, you may not achieve it. You may, but you're in a position right now of power that you wouldn't have been if you hadn't gone down this path. Well, she's already reached freedom because she had, she can go do this. Yep. It isn't necessarily about quitting your job and never working again and just sitting on your butt and watching TV. I mean, that's not really a great life goal anyway. Although who am I to tell you that you can't just sit there and watch game of Thrones 24 hours a day. That's my favorite. That's that's your choice. I actually have never seen it, but I mean, you have reached financial freedom. You have the freedom to pursue this uh, endeavor, this entrepreneurship. And if it doesn't work out, What's the worst that can happen? Oh, you go get a job. Like Joel from FI 180 on episode 11, he said, my worst case scenario is everybody else's everyday life. So (laughs) you try this and maybe you're a millionaire next month and you try it and maybe it doesn't work out. So you go back and you get a job and you're just like everybody else. It doesn't mean that you're going to be ruined if you try this. Um, So you have reached financial freedom. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. (laughs) And I will say, so when I, when, you know, obviously we gave this a lot of thought and, you know, I took my spreadsheets out and I did a lot of calculations on. So taking a break for, and I gave myself two years and, you know, I'm definitely not one of those people who says like, it's all or nothing. This is going to work. And I'm never going back to work. 
Like, I'm not even thinking that way. I always like to think of the worst case scenario. So like you said, my worst case scenario is that in two years, if I'm not able to earn any income, if we, you know, we start seeing that our accounts are getting too low because literally like the money that we've saved is going to help bridge now all our expenses because my husband's salary can't cover everything, but we have enough money now to help bridge that gap. And so if I start seeing like, wait a second, like this is, you know, we're getting into uncomfortable territory, you know, our savings are dwindling too much, then I'd go back and get a job. But I think that I'm so blessed to have found this path to now be talking about it. And like you said, like spreading like the word to others, because without this, without starting on it, I would not be in this position to do this. And so, yeah, it's just like my worst case is everyone's probably everyday scenario or or life. So how bad is that? It's not the end of the world. Yeah, no, it's not the end of the world at all. And I have met you. I saw you speak at Podcast Movement. You set out a goal and you hit it. You knock it out of the park, hit it. It's not just, you know, oh, I might reach it. Jamila just knocks it out of the park. So I don't see you. I don't really see you having another real job again. (laughs) But, you know, again, what's the worst? Okay, so I have to go work. I work. I work at a job that I love every single day. Right, Uh, right. Okay, Um, Is there anything else that you would like to share about your journey or about, you know, what you think that other people could do before we move on to the famous four questions? I'd say this, that you don't necessarily have to max. I like coming at this from a point of view of everyone's journey is different. And so, yes, I was able to save a lot of money um, and max everything out for a couple of years. You know, my husband and I, we had a good income when we were able to do that. But even if your starting point is that you're paying off debt, paying off credit cards, student loan debt, that's major. That's a win. And so I hate to to downplay or for people to think that their wins are not big enough. And I think you should be celebrating each one because it's so important. And every step you make towards getting out of debt, even just putting 1% more into your retirement accounts, every step you make closer to this FI goal that you have is a good one. And so you should be proud of yourself. So I just want people to listen and walk away with feeling that no matter what they're doing, it's as long as they're doing a little bit better than they did before, it's good enough. It's good. So powerful. Every step gets you further. And yeah, everybody's journey is different. Everybody makes different salary. Everybody has different goals. Personal finance is personal. So your story is yours, but this is, this is so awesome. Okay. So now it's time for our famous four questions. These are the same five questions we ask every guest. What is your favorite finance book? My favorite finance book is The Richest Man in Babylon, which is not technically directly finance, but I think it's a great parable on just investing and saving. So that's my favorite book too. Oh, I love the language. It's written in uh, King James Bible or Shakespearean language. And I love language. So that's, uh, yeah, that's my favorite book. Very a classic that you should go read if you haven't already. It's like hour and a half, two hours to read the whole thing. So. Yes, yep. it's a, it's a short book, but it's really, really great. And it was written or it was published in 1920. And I think it's really powerful that the same things that happened 98 years ago hold true today. Right. And you can probably get it. I think the the last time I listened to it was on YouTube for free. So, oh, uh, even better. A frugal book. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What was your biggest money mistake? 
biggest money mistake was probably buying my luxury car that I had to put premium gas in to commute so far to work. But I'd say it was also like my funnest mistake because I didn't feel really good driving it when I had it. (laughs) What kind of car was it? I was just going to ask that. (laughs) It was a BMW 328 Xi Coupe. Oh, nice. We'll have to post a picture of one of those in the show notes. Oh, gosh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, What color was it? It was black, but you know, it's funny because after I had my first kid, I was like, there's no way I'm putting a car seat, like struggling to get the kid in and out of that. That was so not smart. <laughs> so yeah, I got rid- got rid of it immediately after my first kid. Okay. What is your best piece of advice for people who are just starting out? To cut yourself some slack. So the fact that you're just starting out is an accomplishment because there's some people who never start. So getting on the journey, just starting it is a, is a win and just take your time. You're not going to write all the mistakes you did in the past. Don't blame yourself for the mistakes that you made that you didn't know any better or just, just start. I love that. That is fabulous. Awesome. All right. What is your favorite joke to tell at parties? Oh my gosh. (laughs) I'm not a joke teller because my friends will say like, I'm kind of corny with that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so can I like say I don't have jokes? You'll or fit right in. One? <laughs> well, uh, we've got a whole list of jokes. I'm trying to find it now. Um, we've got a whole list of jokes that our readers send in or our listeners send it because they love these jokes. Scott, I'm sure, has 212. Scott, do you want to do a, a joke? Well, let's, 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 uh, let's read one from the list. Okay. okay. Gina Moses asks, why did the cowboy get a wiener dog? Because he wanted to get a long little doggy. It doesn't have to be a good joke. Yeah, wait. I don't get it. He was a wiener dog is a really uh, like a stretchy dog. He wanted to get, get along little doggy. You're not a cowboy, Scott. So you don't uh, know. He he wanted to get a long little doggy, but that's also Uh. a cowboy comment. Oh, oh, here's one from Marvin Barrera. So there were two cannibals eating a clown. And while they were munching away, one of them turned to the other and said. That tastes funny. (laughs) (laughs) Is that it? Yes. Yes. Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) And Jamie D'Souza, why did the jaguar eat the tightrope walker? He was looking for a well-balanced meal. Uh, See, so it doesn't even have to be a good joke, Jamila. <laughs> All right. So I'll write these down and I'll take them at the next parties I'm at to see the response I get. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably one of those. Oh, you have like a huge you, crowd forming you around you. Yeah. <laughs> right. Scott tells jokes just like that all day long, all day, every day. Okay. Jamila, where can people find out more about you? Sure. So you can check out my podcast. Wherever you listen to this amazing podcast, you can find my podcast, Journey to Launch. I'm also um, Journey to Launch on all social media. So I love connecting with listeners after they hear me. If they have more questions, um, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as Journey to Launch. And of course, you can just check out my site, journeytolaunch.com. Okay. And that's T-O, not the number two. Yes, that's T-O, Journey to T-O Launch. Okay. And okay, and we will have all of these links on our show notes. Today, the show notes can be found at biggerpockets.com slash money show 39. Awesome. Jamila, thank you so much for your time today. I learned so much. You're going to benefit my sister 
if nobody oh, else, good. because I'm going to go get her into her 457 plan and get her going with that. Well, thank you so much, Mindy and Scott, for having me. This was great. Yeah, thank you for coming on. This was this was awesome. This is awesome. Okay, well, have a good day, Jamila. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. All right, that was Jamila with journeytolaunch.com. Mindy, what'd you think? Oh my goodness, blew my mind. And like I said at the end, I can't wait to go talk to my sister and tell her to start investing in the 457. I've never even heard of that before. And granted, it isn't something that I can qualify for, so I guess maybe it doesn't matter. But I would like to tell other people, I'm really hoping that there are people who have heard it for the first time on this show too, and they can go and take advantage of that or start taking advantage of it. Yeah. And you know, I, I bet you that it's not all that uncommon amongst some of our listeners where there, where one spouse works at, you know, for a nonprofit or in the public sector and the other maybe works a higher income job in the private sector, right? That seems like a pretty, that seems like something that's very feasible across a large number of people out there. And if that's the case, then you might have the ability to deploy some of that excess household income through multiple tax advantaged accounts and really achieve an advantage, um, that folks, you know, without, without the, those kinds of careers won't have. So it's kind of a way to, to turn something that's, you know, a public sector job, which is often lower income into a huge, I guess, not a, the opposite of liability asset <laughs> on your journey <laughs> towards financial freedom. Yes. And before I had kids, I worked at a job that didn't pay super well. It basically funded our retirement. So at on January 1st, every year I would go in and say, okay, I want to contribute a hundred percent of my salary to my 401k. And it took my HR person a couple of times doing this before she figured out that I really, truly did want to receive no income until I had maxed out my 401k because I wasn't making that much money. It really, my paycheck really didn't matter. No, yeah, I I did not max out my 401k for the first couple of years in the journey to FI. And I think I had good reason for doing that. I house hacked and I built up some uh, investable liquidity outside of retirement accounts that I could spend and use to, to fund my journey, you know, when I switch jobs from my first job to bigger pockets and some other things. But now that I am maxing out my 401k, because I that is the best move for my financial strategy at this point, the very first of the year, first paycheck, I slide the scale right up to 100% and I do not receive a paycheck, any it's a single dollar into my bank account uh, until I have maxed out my entire yearly contribution. Wow, that's an even more impressive story because mine was I was married and had more ways to generate income and you are not married. So that's a little different. It's not very difficult if you've been pursuing five for a couple of years and save up some cash so you can live off of no paycheck for a couple of months while you're, you know, the way I see it mathematically, if you're assuming the market's going to go up, you might as well dump it all in at the very beginning of the year, because now it has more time to grow in there than if you dump it in at the end of the year. Right. Past performance is not indicative of future gains. Make sure you get that little disclaimer in there. But yes, I believe that the market will, you know, continue to go up eventually. It might crash. You know, I don't have a super lot of confidence in our current situation, but you know, it's going to continue to go up in my opinion. So I continue to invest in it, but yeah, the way that you approached your retirement planning is different than the way that I approached my retirement planning. First of all, I did not have a lot of, uh, I didn't have any rental income. We were flipping houses, but that was just what we did. We didn't, you know, I didn't realize that was investing in real estate until after, after I started working here. Oh yeah. I invest in real estate. So many things. That's the definition of investing in real estate. I know. Right. So 
but yeah, I didn't have these other options or I didn't think about these other options. So I, I like that. That's what you're doing too. Congratulations, Scott. I approve. Well, thank you. Yeah. And, <laughs> and another thing I couldn't understand is like, if you're going to max out your Roth, right? If, okay. Your plan is to max out your Roth. Like, why aren't you maxing out your Roth day one of the new year? Like I would go to Scott trade, which I don't think they even exist anymore. They like got bought or something, but uh. you know, but I go to Scottshire on the first business day of the year, and I was always shocked that there wasn't a line of people waiting eagerly to deposit the entirety of their maximum allowable contribution to their Roth IRA at 8 a.m. on the first business day of the year. Like it was, you physically walked there? Yes, because it would take, it was so difficult to do it online for whatever reason. So I was just like, <laughs> like, it was not that far away. So I'd literally show up with a check at their first moment they opened so that I could get the entire year of gains investing by Roth IRA. And I was always so confused that people wouldn't do this. Like if you're going to max it out, you know, go max it out, <laughs> go big. Oh, so, so well, you plan early. ahead. Yeah. There you go. That's funny. Did you call it me trade instead of Scott trade? Uh, no, but I, I will not, I will, I'm not going to lie and say that, you know, I, <laughs> I don't really, I don't know how much of a difference I perceived really between all of the different brokerages and all that, but Scott trade definitely had some, appeal to me. <laughs> okay. So yeah. Scott, at the end of last week's episode, I revealed that I have received now two emails telling me that over and out is the wrong thing to say at the end of the show. So I am looking for a new end. We do record these shows in advance. So I have not yet received any new endings for people tweeting me, Mindy at BP, that's M-I-N-D-Y-A-T-B-P with your suggestions for how to end the show. So today I am just going to say from episode 39 of the bigger pockets money podcast, this is Mindy Jensen and Scott trench and we're leaving. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) Brick wall hit a brick wall. Okay. But we did run very long today with Jamila because she had so many good things to say. So that's the end of the show. Thank you for listening. Have a nice day. Goodbye. The market is changing, and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom, and the best investors know it's not about timing the market, it's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into real estate investing or take it to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals, enter a few details about what and where you want to buy, and boom, instantly matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own.
Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.